Hey everybody, welcome to Shallow Dives. Uh, Christian, we're we're on uh, week two of our quarantine watch, so we got uh, four movies, uh, four more movies to talk about off of our our growing lists. I hey think man, we're just going to we continue recap? doing this. What, what did we do last week? What were the movies we did last week? Uh, what did we do last? week? A lot week? of French we movies. Did, <laughs> it was like. If if they weren't French language, they took place in France. So we did a perfume story of a moitera. That was great. We did uh, evolution yeah. French film. Cleo um, from what, five to seven. Cleo from five to seven. And what was that other fucking thing I made yeah, you what watch? What was that other one that you made me watch? That's a good oh question. <laughs> Don't Obviously, even remember. it's already eluded. My own list. Uh, Raw. Oh yeah, that <laughs> heartwarming tale. <laughs> You know what's funny Such about a breezy, that? forgettable film, Raw. <laughs> the dad in Raw is the dad in Les Demons, which I thought was really nice, uh, interesting uh, little connection. Because I, when I saw him in Raw, I was like, uh, I know this fuck, and then I looked it up. But that's why he looked familiar. I was like, I've seen that dude before. There are a few people in The Demons that I was like, that person looks familiar. Well, you know the and, thing is, like, we get really spoiled with the the American like network of actors and shit like that. We kind of forget that like the French film industry like is much smaller in the same way like bbc you'll see the same person fucking show up in three or four different things right like mm -hmm. there's only so many people acting in the in that and so i feel like there's a lot of overlap like we watch enough french films we're gonna see everything made by that guy you know yeah it's uh you know that's that's true i mean i mean the the demons is like an even smaller subset right because it's french canadian right which i thought was really interesting too and we'll talk about that when we get into it but the four films that we are going to do uh this week that we that we did this week um you picked the hunt which i have already escaped the director but starring mads mickelson not the damon lindelof craig zobel film yeah it's uh thomas vinterberg who um i'm gonna get into his sort of there he I'll, I'll get into that later when we talk about the movie but interesting guy uh in terms of like the scope of film especially in the 90s uh yeah, so we did uh, The Hunt, 2012 Yeah, film. you made me watch Death of Stalin, Armando Iniucci's 2017 film. Yeah. Uh, I made you watch Les Nimons, which is a French-Canadian film. And I made you watch The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which is a silent film directed by Robert Wien. Um, mm. well, I thought it was Robert Weenie. Nah, the W's do the V's or something. I don't know. I'm trying to be like Volkswagen. But then why does Volkswagen. Volts in the V make a V sound? Like Werner Herzog. Yeah. Volkswagen. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, I don't think we need to get into the pronunciation of German Germanic <laughs> languages right now, but it's safe to say that we have we have some feelings about it. Um all right, well, look, how do you want to tackle this, man? Like, which one do you, you want to do one of me, one of yours? What do you want to do? Well, so I, I think that the, the order that we did uh, last time, we started with uh, one of yours and then one, one of mine. So we can reverse it this time if you want to start with one of mine, and that way we end with one of yours. Um, so I'm going to I'm gonna kick this off. And uh, Death of Stalin uh, was one of my picks. 2017, Armando Iannucci. Uh, historical kind of satire, kind of comedy, kind of drama, kind of none of those things yeah. um film uh kind of chronicling the immediate aftermath of the death of uh stalin um what did you think of this film this is a movie that i've been trying to kind of recommend to you for a while but you haven't been able to see it yeah i mean so interestingly enough we're watching the americans right now and there's a whole scene where they talk about like all i know is the last two leaders the last two times our leaders died like they lied about it for weeks you know what i mean mm -hmm. like there's this real cover-up and it's like an american history they don't really teach you much about russian history you know that's old right. papa joe or uncle joe or whatever and we we don't want to give you too much information so the the death of stalin may have been this huge thing within the country that is like mostly an unknown story and i think that's what made it really interesting for armando and yuchi to, to go after uh guys who made it is the guy who made it in the thick of it right um and mm -hmm. he did veep on hbo and he's very funny um i feel like all of his projects they take like 20 minutes for you to really understand what he's doing like what the tone is that he's setting and then it sort of clicks into place this one's no different uh, because like it's in Russia, but no one's doing a Russian accent. Like it's very jarring at first. You don't know if it's supposed to be funny, if right. it's supposed to be like a drama. It's, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you this really quickly, and I'll I'll kick it back to you. Like considering it's Armando Iniucci, and considering how funny Veep and the thick of it was, this is I mean it's funny, uh, but I don't think it's supposed to necessarily be funny. It's played like ultra real. Uh, and things are just sort of playing out. And I think the lunacy of the situation is kind of breeding more comedy than the comedy is. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, this is something that I wanted to talk to you about this, that I would classify as kind of a satire, even though it's sort of just historically almost bullet pointing the immediate events following at the high levels of like what happened after Stalin died, how they kind of covered it up or withheld information, the power struggles internally at the upper echelons of Russian leadership. Um, but the reason to me that it kind of plays as a comedy or a satire or like where the comedy comes from it's first and foremost, just that decision to have the actors talk in their regular accents. So like right. you have a lot of really great players like Steve Buscemi just talking as Steve Buscemi. Uh, Patty Considine uh, makes an appearance at the beginning. Uh, Jason Isaacs, um, fucking Jeffrey Tambor and uh, a few others. Like it's kind of loaded with like those character actors, especially like BBC types that you just have right. seen like those fuckers. Um, and just having them kind of talk in sort of their regular, almost like modern lingo, uh, kind of takes this absurd historical situation and puts it uh, kind of in a modern context a little bit. Like seeing Steve Buscemi just say, uh, yeah, comrade, I'm Steve Buscemi, uh, sort of <laughs> makes the ridiculousness of the situation feel less alien, makes it feel more immediate, more modern, um, which I think is what he was kind of going for. Yeah, know you know, I mean, directorial intent is always really interesting. I mean, the but the the whole premise, I think, he sets up in a really interesting way because it's horrific and yet it's hilarious. Is just that culture of like, I, uh, do you think we should investigate? It's like, I think you should shut the fuck up before you get us killed. Everyone is on this edge of like, we about to be killed. Like the whole premise is like, oh, on the day before St Stalin dies, he's like signing off all these execution lists for enemies of the state and shit like that. Mm -hmm. And it's like they they they, they conferred with these people, but people didn't really have a say in it I and mean, whatever Stalin said you know right. uh, and so it's just like I kept looking at it the whole time as like man you know once you're in on this because again it's not like that communism is inherently evil or capitalism is inherently evil but it's like after you establish the precedent and there's that line that keeps getting said which is like Stalin shattered the status quo and then he rebuilt it you know what I mean and it's just like that cracked me up so much because it's like oh god like you're already down this Cohen brother like the Russian oligarchy the the whole communist party was already a Cohen brothers comedy past the point where they're trying to get rid of bodies you know so like you can't right. get moral like I, the whole time I'm just sitting there being like no this is necessary they have to be evil people like there's no way to get out of this being good you know what I mean <laughs> like so uh, I was watching like the lunacy just unfold like Jesus Christ and the one thing I know from history is like okay I know Nikki Kushtov gets out of this i know he gets yeah. out of this one so i was trying to figure out who i had heard of i'm like molotov okay the molotov pact the that the poland thing okay so like right. i'm like i think he makes it out of this and i was just trying to do process of elimination but kept refusing to look up wikipedia to figure out what happened to these people and i'm glad because when you get to the last act of this which is playing mostly as a like funny movie for the most part it's very ludicrous mm -hmm. and absurd and shit like that um and and then like it stops kind of being funny like at all like you see a straight up power struggle come to its natural conclusion the whole time I thought we're playing by a rule that's going to be so absurd that everyone's going to end up in a stalemate like not realizing oh no there's straight up political consequences to this. Yeah, no, it really does sort of highlight for you how terrifying it was to be even in the inner the circle races, of Stalin. Yeah. Like, like, you would think like, oh, okay, those dudes are safe. Like, they're, they're, they're good to go. But no, like, at any moment's notice anything that was said, like, it, it's even established in the very beginning. Yeah. There's like this dinner scene that they're having with Stalin before Stalin dies, uh, where I think one of the characters is drunk and on his way out the door, he's like, tell your wife everything you said just to verify that it was okay what you said because right. he's like i'm very drunk you know and he's like, yeah well just make sure you didn't fucking say anything stupid um no it was like genius constantly, yeah, yeah they're, they're just constantly looking over their shoulders especially this character simon russell beale who was what the head of the kgb right or intelligence in russia who is basically mm -hmm. the guy who was like the pit bull he was like the guy to watch out for um and he's the one that ends up getting getting got he reminded me end. of dick cheney man like I, and maybe yeah, that was totally much. purposeful i don't because they, they totally well, even in appearance yeah yeah um but but just that like bulldog mentality because the whole time i'm thinking about that it's just like you know the carl roves the the uh the fucking dick cheney's of the world like they're evil but i also applaud them because they knew their lot in life they're like look i already look like an evil potato man like i might as well lean into this and they somehow right. like they assume power and that gumption i guess is cool and attractive and magnetic and that's why people kind of come to it but yeah that whole that that character was honestly like the most interesting character of it to me mm -hmm. and i felt like he was 
one step ahead of everybody. You know what I mean? Um, right. But equal parts terrifying and funny, you know, yeah. but definitely a terrifying guy. Yeah. Um, and just the idea that Russia was populated with characters like that. Um, and then you have uh, freaking Jeffrey Tambor's character, uh, Malenkov, just Georgie, this ineffectual. This ineffectual kind of foppish idiot who they yeah. sort of put there as a placeholder premier or whatever after Stalin dies. Like, right. it's just, uh, I don't know. It, it's it's not so far off from the fucking political circus that we're seeing in our own country now, yeah. um, which is why it, it just played. When it came out, this was like the first year of Trump's presidency when it came out. So it was just kind of perfect timing um, because every day there were these reports of, you know, the inner sort of, meltdown that was happening inside of his cabinet just even in those early months and seeing this movie which is basically that in another historical context uh equal parts funny and terrifying yeah yeah i don't know I, I really it, gets you, it gets you from the beginning i mean just the opening scene which by the way uses mozart's 21st concerto i'm only name dropping that because it's like literally my favorite composition ever it's so fucking great uh mm -hmm. and they play well, it you and like, stalin oh, wow. have something in common so. well yeah stalin's a big <laughs> fan of it and just like they didn't record it so the whole <laughs> just immediately the guy who's like losing his shit like no 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 one leave no one leave because if one person leaves yeah like stalin calls him right. directly and he's like I want a recording of that. I'll have someone pick it up in 15 minutes. And he's like, oh, fuck, we didn't yeah. record it. Yeah, I, I just I immediately, I thought that was so funny, man. And the, and the movie is really funny. It's absurd. It's ludicrous. It's scored with really rousing and, and like funny uh, classical music as well. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's this decadence to it. There's this ecclesiastical feeling to it because Russia is very pretty. I don't know where they shot that movie. Probably not Russia. <laughs> Uh, but you know the interiors um yeah uh, my understanding is, is that russia has banned this movie oh, yeah. from Shocker. ever showing in russia so yeah i don't know like the full why because they established a that. timeline like like obviously it's embellished like obviously like like buscemi isn't making one-liners and shit you know what i mean but like the events all happened as it was like i just don't understand that like you can't fucking erase history of russia no matter how much you try uh, so I have the Wikipedia page open and opened up and they said that the death of Stalin is aimed at inciting hatred and enmity, uh, violating the dignity of the Russian people, promoting ethnic and social inferiority, which points to the movie's extremist nature. We are confident that the movie was made to distort our country's past so that the thought of 1950s Soviet Union makes people feel only terror and disgust. Listen, we didn't talk about this, but I, I'm going to talk about this with the movie and with uh, the Americans that I'm watching, which is like, do you ever think how seriously how fucked it must be to, to be Russian? Like, and I'm not talking about like the geopolitical thing. I just mean that like World War II happens. We say, all right, we're partners and we're going to divide the spoils of war. You're a superpower and we're a superpower. They get to space before us, man. Like, like, like we, we were neck and neck with these fucks for a long time. And then it's really sad because now, like, even with Putin in power, people don't think of the Russians as a real, real fucking stranglehold of power in the world you know what i'm saying like compa not compared to america like us at our, at our worst right now donald trump and shit we're still perceived as way more fucking powerful than russia is and it's just like considering the amount of films that came out in the 80s and like where the russians are the bad guys and shit like that like it, it has to feel like this fucking thing where they're like you know we're always fucking demonized but you know, right. like we're, we're, we're the positive Russian Jones portrayals. <laughs> we're the pro-Stalin movies. You know, we never talk about how Ivan Drago was a great father. Okay, <laughs> like we never talk about how he always got home at five and he always helped little Ivan Drago Jr. with his homework. I mean, isn't you know? that what Creed Two is about? Like, isn't that Ivan Drago's son or something? Maybe it has that scene. I never saw Creed Two. Right? Maybe they 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 that was like out the best, the highest-grossing film in <laughs> Russia of all time, or something. Finally, <laughs> Rocky from the Russian perspective. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's it's fun. It's it was like a. I'm glad he had told me to do it, especially because the other movie you paired it with was like a fucking downer. Um, so I needed some levity. You know what I mean? Like, well, I mean, yeah, because uh, originally, I this was a, a last minute swap out. I was going to make you watch a movie called The Mountain, which made me feel a pit of despair that mm. still hasn't uh, gone away in the months since I've seen it. And I was like, you know what? This list is pretty rough aside from Babe Picking the City. I should probably pick like a fun oh, comedy. Yeah. And of course I pick something that barely qualifies as a comedy, but it's something. I'm, you know, I'm glad that you appreciated the gesture. Uh yeah. Be proud of yourself. Uh, <laughs> Death of Stalin was a good start, man. Definitely. I'd recommend it. Um, and I had to buy it, but it's only $2.99.
places. So get yeah, it. in some ways, it's worth a worth an, a poichus. It's worth it with Steve Buscemi, like who does a lot of really good shit in the movie subtly. Like that's the weird thing about it. Like there are moments where, specifically at the end, after like the coup, after you kind of like they sneak in this execution scene on you. Sorry for the spoiler alert, but they sneak in like this execution scene on you that I guess you know is coming. But at the same time, like even when it happens, it's so unceremoniously like, oh fuck it, <laughs> let's go get a beer, like. You know right. what I mean? Like, it's so weird. And, like, uh, there's a scene where Buscemi has to then get serious and yell at, like, Stalin's daughter. And you're like, oh, he turned, that's a that's a degree. He, uh, he turned that up a little bit. And mm-hmm. so, like, even under the guise of a comedy, like, there are some straight fucking performances in this. I, I, I liked it a lot. That's all. Good. I like it also. Uh, so you picked a film or two. Uh, what would you like to talk about first? Let's get into this French movie. You said you have opinions on it. Uh, I'll, 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 I'll qualify it very quickly. I, I made you choose a 2016 film, I believe, called Le Dimons, which is set in Montreal. Um, and, and the logline of it, which is, is interesting because I compared it to uh, It Follows, is just a young boy kind of comes to terms with his budding sexuality in the 1980s AIDS epidemic decade. Uh, also, <laughs> kids are disappearing from Montreal. I mean, right, right at the end, they throw that. <laughs> also, there's a kid snatcher. And what's fucking fascinating about this movie is I watched it and I'm like, honey, we're an hour and 10 minutes in and there is no fucking kid snatching. Like, I mean, there's like a mention of it or some shit. But the whole time, didn't you watch the movie waiting for like, okay, so when does this kidnapping start? <laughs> yeah, also because you compared it to It Follows and you said that's what the movie was about. So I had like an expectation going <laughs> in that like, oh, this is going to be like a supernatural kind of like synthy sort of like I'm thinking It Follows. It's not that. It is like a full 70 minutes uh, in the beginning of just sort of, um, uh, cause I had to readjust my expectations as I was watching it. Cause like for the first like 30, 40, 50 minutes, I was like, there is no inciting incident. Uh, <laughs> nothing has happened. There's no plot to speak of. Uh, right, right. It's just this kid walking around in his underwear half the time um, doing inappropriate things. Uh, but once you kind of readjust your expectations, like what the movie is, like you kind of see what the director is doing. Um, it's a debut feature, I think, from uh, Philip Lesage or Philippe Lesage, which I, I read that he did uh, uh, documentaries before this. And yeah. it kind of shows because it's very, it kind of has a sense of voyeurism. You're always limited from the child's perspective. He's like 10 years old or so. Um, and a lot of it is just sort of like episodic uh, glimpses at this kid's, you know, you never really fully understand what he's thinking, but you kind of just see like different little scenes from his childhood almost. And like this, uh, how long does this even take place for like a month or so, maybe? Yeah, I think it's over a summer. Yeah, yeah, like over a summer, um, just like, you know, going to the pool and uh, hanging out with friends and, you know, going out with his brother and seeing his parents fight and uh, there are like these flashes of emotional violence, but a lot of it is uh, just punctuated by stillness. Um, And then uh, the movie takes a turn uh, and gets real fun. Yeah, like it, it's 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 a turn where you're like, I don't know. We spent so much time with this movie not being this movie. It almost doesn't need to become this movie now, you know. Like mm-hmm. I kind of feel that way about it. At the same time, I I do think that like there's something to be said about like I I think they're they're a lot of the AIDS talk is is done in hushed tones and in whispers. Like we know there's this thing that's going on that affects people, but again, the education of it is so lacking. Um, like the idiot characters are like, oh, it's the gay disease. You know what I mean? Like saying this this and that and then like kind of a kid who by the way like is probably not gay i mean like you're a fucking kid you're feeling any way you want to fucking feel you do shit that's the whole point uh but but already being whispered in his ear that oh if potentially he is this thing like oh it's the worst possible thing that can happen to you you know what i mean like it's this already the propagandist and not even on purpose but like a propagandist like loathing of yourself Right, because I mean, it starts, it's like he sees like different scenes of adults, like you see him observing adults a lot. And then he tries to recreate that with this little boy who kind of comes over, but not really in a sexual way, more in a performative way. It's like he dresses the kid up as like a girlfriend or something like that. And it's not, he kind of like distorts that into thinking, oh, does that mean I'm gay or something? Because some kid says, yeah, if you lay down on top of another dude, clothes on or off, that means you're gay. You know, so he's just a lot of the movie is just him internalizing things, uh, 
in an interesting way. Well, like every interaction, he's looking for any semblance of like a healthy relationship and he's not mm-hmm. seeing it anywhere. Weirdly, that like the healthiest relationship is his dad and his mom's friend, which like you think, oh, yeah. oh, affair. Like, no, nah, they never go there. They never confirm that, you know, like either yeah. way, there's like some intimacy. He's spending his nights talking about this rather than going home and being with his family. Like, so it's just, it's, it's in searching for something. And like, there are moments that are kind of joyful. I really like the scene with his sister and like, they have, they have a mm, dance. She like scene. puts the record on. Yeah. It's yeah. I was like, damn, I needed that. Yeah, I think everyone did. And by the way, that's the last, like, kind of heartwarming moment of the movie because then Mm -hmm. it just descends into, like, child killing and stuff. And there's a couple, like, stunning shots. I think that's the reason I I, I compared it to It Follows is uh, the use of the suburbs, like, this this super normal kind of thing that we should all feel comfortable in, right, because it's Mm -hmm. a gated community and nothing bad happens here. We realize that's bullshit that's a sham um to have like a wolf going around uh in the community like picking off sheep, right. like with the, the idea of comfort and safety all that's kind of gone i just looked at it the way it follows dead where they would take these really precise shots like i really love uh the two shots i'm thinking of is one the pool scene there's a scene where all the kids are swimming and i tell you that synth music strikes up which i'm halfway sure is the same song from raw i'm not positive but there's just that scene where like the camera only moves like on a on a dolly and then comes back a couple times and you're like mm-hmm. oh shit something's gonna go down the music's crescendoing nothing happens you're just like jesus christ you know but you're like looking at every bit of the screen trying to find something and just a really horrific scene they don't show you anything but where uh, the the kidnapper in question takes a kid and they like park in this lot and they just walk into this like shadowy thing with all the trees and the forest like casting their shadows into an even darker like uh, it's fucked up man it's a beautiful film it's just like not a happy like yeah i mean I'm, I'm still like wrestling because this is something i just watched yesterday but i'm still wrestling with uh how much i was into the idea of it becoming what it becomes by the end or how much that really ties into the overall thing because you could have very well done a movie where it's just you know sort of a lot of you know muted vignette kind of scenes from this kid's childhood but then you do a perspective shift because for that first 60 70 minutes uh it's all from this kid's perspective there's no scene that's not from this kid's perspective and then you go to the perspective of this this child killer uh who uh, you know like through a prolonged kind of carnival scene to like him parking with this kid like you see everything from his perspective and then it kind of bounces back and forth from there um so i'm still not 100 percent sold on that i don't know like i don't know how to feel that's the thing like definitely it definitely like was upsetting definitely made me feel the things that i think it intended to um you know what i what i kind of thought they were doing with it even though i think they did it not in the best way possible i think it was like the acceptance of like who you are despite whatever the fuck it is and then the internalization of believing the rhetoric about it like this is some kid who probably exhibited some whatever and was told he was very very bad for it and had to like keep that shit inside like i don't think and what's the bad thing is i think from a distance people will then make the correlation that like being gay means that you kill children like not what i'm saying <laughs> i'm just saying that like there's a difference between like how it's received in your life the support systems that we have being able to face some shit like that on your own as opposed to having a family to help you deal with it who accepts you um and so like i think i think that's kind of why they did it i i, I don't know i just really like and i think it's weird because the language does a lot of the heavy lifting where like and the anticipation of weird shit like yeah. it makes it feel like this very like oh just around that street if we if the camera stays for one more second it always cuts right before that thing comes across the corner you know what i mean mm-hmm. so the, the movie's filled with that it's not like a thing that has like ah here you go you know what i yeah, mean like a lot, a lot of danger looking lurking around I just like on it, the edges though. of the frame yeah. uh like just that one scene where they they pass by a house and they say yeah this woman was about to get raped and i think it was those guys right there and then they pass yeah. by those guys well, even now, they, they bring that car back later with just yeah. the headlights. And you're just like, oh, shit. Yeah. Well, then it starts revving, and the kids literally run, like, all of a half a block away and then lay down in the street, like, got away. And I was like, <laughs> what if that's not – that's a car. <laughs> but you know what? It worked out. Um, yeah. No, uh, uh, overall, like, very effective film. Not a fun film to watch. So I oh, feel yeah, like – because the you, next film of yours is a real fun time at the movies, right? delightful. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> anyway, go watch The Demons, man. It's pretty cool. It's French-Canadian. Oh, uh, well, let me ask you very quickly because we watched a couple French films yesterday. It's very interesting to see French films and then French-Canadian films because mm. culturally they feel very different. 
Uh, yeah. it's, it's like the French, like they're, they're more improvisational jazz. Like they're, they're willing to do weirder shit, I think, than the French Canadians. That's not to take anything away from French Canadians. Denis is probably the best filmmaker of the last 10 years, in my opinion. Uh, so it's like, they obviously have a singular vision, but it, it, it feels a little bit more Americanized, doesn't it? Like the, the culture doesn't seem as foreign as the culture in those films. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not an expert on French Canadian films either, but yeah, French, French films, you always know that there's potential for some weird, weird shit that you've never seen before and that you wouldn't ever want to see. Um, so it's always kind of a delightful, fun surprise every time you open up a French movie. It's like, a, oh, oh yeah. am I going to get like a, a pile of shit or a really cool toy? You don't know. Well, there that is. I guess a, 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 a ringing endorsement for French films, but not necessarily Canadian French films. The point <laughs> is they're, they're both interesting. One just has uh, like, you know, they have their liberties. Yeah. That's- France is a strange place, you know, they're, they're an old country, they've had a long time to think about things culturally, way longer than America, so they, they're getting weird with it, they're like Danny DeVito and Always Sunny, you know, yeah. it's like, I only got a few years left, I'm gonna get weird with it, yeah, that's man. what they're how doing, much, that's the space right now. How much time right is now. left on the, the, the great empire of France, you know, like, sunset, I mean, sun's getting real low in the sky, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Alright, man, let's move on, let's move on to a heartwarming, heartwarming film. Uh, I mean, entitled. real talk. Did you really think it was that hard of a watch? It's not that it's a hard watch. It's just that, like, I have a problem, especially now in the time where we are, where like we we leave behind facts a little bit and just dive into the the like worst possible scenario of stuff. Mm. You know what I mean? So it's like the mass hysteria thing was just like, God damn it! I deal enough with this on an everyday basis. Yeah. I don't want to see a perfect. Well, yeah, this guys, this was in like, the the uh, you know Obama. Uh, American summer of we Obama. We needed this. You know? Yeah, we, we yeah. needed this in order to like, rem- hey, bad shit's at the door, guys, just because Obama's yeah. keeping it there. Uh, 2012 Danish film um, from a guy named Thomas Vinterberg, um, who, if you don't know anything about Thomas Vinterberg, uh, was an associate of Lars von Trier in the 90s, and they both started uh, what's called the Dogme uh, 95 film movement. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Dogme 95 film movement. Nope. So very influential um, in ways that are still being felt and studied or whatever. Uh, it, basically, these two dudes uh, sort of as a rebellion against, uh, you know, the trends in film at the time in the 90s uh, came up with these rules, these preposterous rules for uh, for film. Um, so give me one second. I'm just going to pull those up. Uh, basically, like in order to qualify as a Dogme 95 Film, uh, the shooting must be done on location. Props and sets must not be brought in. Sound must never be produced apart from the images or vice versa. The camera must always be handheld. The film must be in color. Optical work and filters are forbidden. So basically like all these different rules to sort of uh, both restrict and liberate the filmmaker um, to challenge them to create something that is outside of the standard norms. Uh, and that's why you ended up seeing, uh, you know, movies like Dogville or... Uh, breaking the waves or whatever else and that's also kind of like lent itself to mumblecore movies you know going into the you know late 2000s early 2010s um just usually very kind of talky uh you know adult dramas um so this movie the hunt directed by that guy starring mads mickelson um about a man who is falsely accused of uh, of a crime and uh the kind of emotional uh and physical violence that ensues as a result um what did you think of this movie um i just thought it was so much fun uh <laughs> no i mean like i'll tell you i'll tell you what my initial impressions are honestly which is that mads mickelson who's already someone that i'm like oh this guy's a really great actor uh it, when you see him do something in a in a native language, it's always interesting to see. It's like when you watch Marion Cotillard or any actor you really like who's done both. You're just like, oh shit! Like, yeah, because like I feel like there's a part of them that has to internalize and then figure it out. And translate, uh, yeah, right. Which which like works for Hannibal. Hannibal is always like processing like at a point five second lag. He's almost a human, but like mm-hmm. it's it works for that performance. Um, but it was really interesting to see him do something where like just way more vulnerable. Way more vulnerable, yeah. way more subdued. Uh, it's just a regular guy. 
but yeah like there like there's scenes where this dude is just fucking shattered <laughs> like that really mm-hmm. destroyed me and there's like there's a couple that i because they they're polar opposites the first one is just when the he's being told about the allegation to begin with yeah where, like even when he's asking like it's not even dawning on like i'm like have a reaction that doesn't make you look guilty guy uh and he's just like why would i like i, I now i'm looking at it like well like it wouldn't even fucking occur to him like he right doesn't know what the fuck you're talking about so he doesn't register this action he's like well what was said like he doesn't even get that answer and it's just like mm-hmm. this really soft like okay like maybe you should take a couple days off yeah sure like just so agreeable like just trying to do whatever he can to make the situation better uh Mm -hmm. so that broke my heart and then like later in the movie and then we'll talk about plot points a little bit but just the church scene yeah it's like some of the best acting i've seen uh look at my eyes i'm like yeah no (laughs) well just like he he yeah he just he's staring at his friend like directly smacking the shit out of him by the way like well even before that it's just the crescendo like starting off with just staring at him directly and then like the choir starts singing and the girl the little girl who has falsely accused him of molesting her Mm -hmm. is singing to him and he starts crying and kicking the pews and everything and then bursts up and then starts hitting his friend and pointing his finger and screaming. And it was just like, holy shit. What it really like, did was make me double down on how much I hate fucking kids because not only did she lie about some <laughs> shit, <laughs> okay? But That's then, the takeaway. Well, because is, he, is it Marcus or Lucas? He's Mark. Marcus is the kid, right? Uh, yeah, so right. Mads Mikkelsen is Lucas... Uh, his kid's Marcus. Okay, so when Marcus goes over to the house and is like, "Hey, let me, let me in. Why are you lying, you bitch?" <laughs> like he's yelling at a little girl. By the way, I like that in that scene, the guy beats the shit out of him. But what I'm saying is, like, the little girl had opportunity after opportunity to be like, you know, I made it up. <laughs> you know what well, I'm saying? Well, to, to be like, fair, she does though. She she yeah. does like at the halfway mark of this movie, tell her mother, "I said something stupid. I didn't mean it. He didn't do anything." And the mother, and the mother literally it, yeah. gaslights her into believing that no you just can't process it something did happen right so it's like it's it's a strange it's one of those things like where there's nobody to really blame like they're certainly in the aftermath like people to blame for how they treat Mads Mikkelsen's character or whatever right. um but there's really nobody to blame for the situation the little girl is taking um you know hurt feelings and a lie uh that she can't really process and she doesn't understand the effect that's going to have on Mads right. Mikkelsen. Mads Mikkelsen didn't commit a crime. The father believes that he needs to protect his daughter. So he's, and he's heartbroken and betrayed by his friend. Like nobody is really to blame for this situation. Um, but it's still terrible. And well, it's a movie where you really applaud it because people act like people throughout every mm-hmm. step where it's like, I, I, I can get shitty about, uh, about like, I don't know, the townspeople. You know, townspeople are the worst. They serve a function to the story. But, like, when he goes grocery shopping and shit. Right. And he gets into that whole thing. And and, and I, like, and again, you want to know how good of an actor he is? The thing that broke my heart is not when he gets hit in the face, but when he's being ushered out. And he's like, you can't just hit a customer. <laughs> like, he's, like, so mad. Right. He's like, and I'm like, well, he doesn't even want to be violent back. Which, by the way, makes the whole headbutt thing later even so much more delicious. Because, like, mm-hmm. this guy can't even go fucking grocery shopping. He can't live a life based on a fucking lie. And... Um, as much as I hate the kids, I think I hate the adults in the film because they all walk down that road willingly. You know, like we, we, we see like, oh, a professional ask very leading questions. We see parents do the same thing, you know, like no one's right. fact checking at any point, by the way, <laughs> like because the whole basement thing is like sort of what exonerates them, I guess. I mean, there's no charges, but you know what I'm saying? It's like yeah, the whole thing is just it reeks of that mentality of like the train's moving. You know, mm-hmm. trains left and like either get on or, or don't get off. And there's like so many people like uh, pedophilia is serious. We should probably take all of it very serious. But like it makes me think that, the, you know, like any misjustice or a miscarriage of justice, these things happen where some people do get blamed for shit that didn't happen. You know, and like it goes into that philosophical thing. It's like, hey, would you execute one innocent man to make sure that 99 went dead? It's like, no probably not i gotta be honest like i don't like those odds and it just makes me sad we live in that thing and also makes me sad because that seems very american before i watched mm. this movie you sent it to me and i was just like oh wait this is a foreign language <laughs> like which i'm excited about but forgot right i was telling you like yeah it has subtitles and then like full two minutes later you're like wait 
this is in a foreign language no well no (laughs) because like it sounds like an american movie like oh a fucking beloved trusted community man gets accused of it and then the whole town turns against them it sounds Mm -hmm. like a very american like setup uh so when it happens you know yeah universal because i mean if you think of like anybody in any town if they got accused of this crime like some version of this would happen some people at least would believe it no matter how it happens in fucking happens in prisons man like even like prisons they don't like child molesters (laughs) so like in regular civilization they gotta give the pedophile a pass you know i get it i get it (laughs) i'm just saying no uh to be serious like it's an uncomfortable watch like the guy's life is harassed his relationships are broken up they fucking kill his dog which yeah. is the thing that really bummed me out because you always show me something where a dog gets killed, I feel like. Sorry. Uh, and, and, and it's just a tough movie about someone having to persevere and, and not giving up. Like, I think anyone else in that situation is like, fine, I'm leaving. You know, you get the fuck out right. of there. But, but, but he's, he's refusing to, to leave. He's refusing to hide. Like, he continues to just stand up and, you know, he walks into that supermarket. He walks into that church. I love that even to maintain a sense of, more, of normalcy and dignity after headbutting somebody, he's covered in blood yeah. and he still pays for his groceries. Right. Um, yeah, no, and then just the, the one-year mark later, when he's kind of exonerated, when everybody is sort of welcomed him back, like he's not fully welcomed back. Mm-hmm. The button on this movie, the final moment is so chill. Yeah. So yeah. perfect. Yeah. It's a, uh, I mean, we shouldn't talk about it though, right? Like, I, we should leave that out there. I mean, let's just, yeah, say, I mean, maybe, I don't know. Maybe not all watch, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Watch, watch the hunt. I mean, it's, it's disturbing in that it's so realistic, like every part of it. And like you said, the people act like people. Um, all the violence in it is mostly emotional violence. It's, you know, uh, the fracturing of this guy's friendships and his life and family and everything over something that isn't even true. And just how like a a a simple sentence can ruin somebody's life is- I don't, yeah, I mean, and it's beautiful because it's like, uh, I live in California now, you'll you'll hear about some of these fires that are started from fucking a cigarette, but that just wasn't put Mm -hmm. out. You're just like, God damn, it takes so little to destroy so much, you know? Um, And the emotional cost of it, it's like, this guy literally lost pretty much everything. And even afterwards, mm-hmm. where everything's sort of chill again, it's like, oh, there's an emotional toll that never gets replenished, you know? Right. Um, it was great. I mean, I, I should watch more from this director. I, I'm, I'm willfully ignorant, sadly. But, I mean, if this isn't any indication, it's like, yeah, man. Does he do any other Mads Mikkelsen stuff? Because I don't think happen. so. Yeah. He, but he's, he's done some, like, they're all foreign language movies. But, like, I've only seen The Celebration. Um, by him but yeah he's worth he's worth checking out he's a uh, he's obviously a different cut from a different cloth than von trier so you're not going to be seeing anything uh horrifyingly sickening in these movies it's just more like uh one day we need to do a danish deep dive just because like i'm of two minds like i like Lars von Trier, but like reffin to me is way fucking better as a filmmaker but i don't know if that's true i don't know if that's me not liking the confrontational nature <laughs> like like Lars von Trier doesn't make like like only god forgives has violence and shit you know what i'm saying but like it's it's in service of this very specific tone where like yeah. Lars von Trier, like antichrist I mean, is not fun <laughs> like, but i would say like von Trier has something to say in all of his movies a lot of them are usually like meta sort of masturbatory uh films about himself um but he still always has something to say Reffin generally doesn't but he kind of wears that on his sleeve like they're two very different guys right um you know Reffin is all about aesthetics it's all about like he calls it like visual pornography in that like he obsesses over every single frame as if it were i feel it but 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 like all of those movies are so much fun to fucking watch as a result like there is never a single frame that's wasted and i think that's why i like them i will get into it at some point but i'm glad that there are more than just those two apparently there's some other really fine filmmakers out there um Mm -hmm. let's move on to the final movie man if you're cool which is a it's a little bit different it's the first time we've done this which is like uh you know what's funny i just found out like a year ago two days ago uh was the first time i set foot in la which is weird because now i live here so it's really amazing that from one year from being here to being like obsessed with it, blah, blah, blah. Now I live here. But when I made that first trip a year ago, I got really into that documentary, um, The Story of Film and Odyssey. And mm-hmm. there's a really phenomenal chapter um, only on silent films. 
I think us kids, you know, like, and not just us, anyone born like 30 years ago too. Like, it's like silent films weren't in vogue for people who were growing up. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, even Spielberg, right? He's watching 40s and 50s serials. He's not watching silent films growing up, I assume. Maybe I'm wrong, but. Yeah, uh, I mean, they're probably not getting a lot of play, you know, like uh, serial brands probably aren't like jumping over themselves <laughs> to like fucking like, to make it you're doing a, a midnight showing of Cabinet of Dr. Caligari? All by Sunrise, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, here's the thing, but I watched that documentary and then there are these amazing silent films, like things that I, I guess I had heard of, I've seen pictures of, but didn't know what they were. And I'm not talking about like Chaplin or Buster Keaton or any of that stuff, and they're wonderful too, but I'm just talking about like, oh, people who did some real artistic shit within the medium, who were able to tell a story without having the reliance of someone looking at a camera and, and expositionally saying something. Uh, right. So it was very interesting. One of the ones that I, I had always heard, um, I would say it's like a top three of the silent film, right? I hear You hear about Intolerance, you hear about Metropolis. And then the third, I think, is this one, which is called The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. It's a German mm -hmm. expressionist film. The reason I picked this is this last year, my favorite film of the year, and I believe at least in your top five, um, The Lighthouse uh, by uh, Eggers, right? Robert Eggers mm -hmm. um, came out and did a lot of stuff that I really loved because it reminded me uh, in a purely referential way, but not in a copping way uh, of so many things that happened in this movie. So I wanted to ask you about it because you're not like an extensive silent film guy either. I think you've seen a couple of things that I've seen, uh, but, but how did you feel about this movie going into it? What did you know about this movie going into it? Uh, I knew that it sort of, that Ebert called it, possibly the first horror film ever made nice. that it was, you know, heralded the induction of like German expressionism in film, um, which German expressionism in general had been a, kind of fucking around a couple years before this in other mediums, right? Like uh, photography and, um, you know, dance and a few other visual things, but this was like the first movie to sort of do it. Um, but aside from that, I didn't really know a lot. I knew that like the production design and the uh, city, like I'd seen stills from it, like these twisting sort of surrealist uh, cityscapes and stuff. But yeah, that, that was basically it. Um, I knew there was a spooky guy in it um, because I'd seen the poster. So yeah, no, uh, going into it, knew next to nothing um, and kind of underestimated it on a plotting level. Because, you know, right? I didn't realize that, like, <laughs> they knew about these things. But th is this, like, the first twist ending in a movie? Dude, like, twist is this ending the first time? And a frame narrative. They have a narrative frame. That's, like, we're, like, the story doesn't take place when the story takes place. We're outside of it. And then, yeah, we right. have a Shyamalanian twist. And it's amazing. <laughs> uh, but before we get to any of that, I just want to ask you, because going into it, like, it is... Uh, it's like abundant very clear like that the, the style is kind of going to be confrontational it's not like perfectly written letters mm -hmm. and stuff like that it's uh, jagged off kilter almost italicized like uh, chalk paint for all mm -hmm. the talking the tint is very important because it is not meant to look like a skin tone or to look like black and white even it's very specific tint did you watch where did you watch it on uh I watched it on amazon prime Oh, did you? Okay, because it's on Criterion. I, I don't know if the versions mm, are different. That but. was probably a much better version because the one I watched on Prime was kind of a lower quality. So oh, I do want to rewatch yeah. it. Yeah, please do. Uh, yeah. But no, but it's interesting because it's like the blue tent and like this, like they would even do this things with the the editing which again i don't know how these fucking wizards did this back in the day but they would mm -hmm. have like a person walk through the frame a lot of the time that was not in the room when they did that and so like there would be scenes where like oh someone dies for instance where the lighting yeah. would change for a second and that person's skin color would change and it would represent the stuff and i'm just looking at it like holy shit man because you couldn't you didn't have all the thi the luxuries of these modern directors using words and like fucking musical cues and shit uh it makes you really appreciate the how, how and again this is not a 20 minute movie this is an hour and 20 minutes like it's a fucking movie and they think yeah. for the whole time yeah no i mean i i, I was uh, not pleasantly surprised i'm always pleasantly surprised when i watch silent movies because they're always um much more rooted in like the basics of film storytelling in a way that I never expect them to be. And I really need to start expecting them to be that. Um, I, I thought it was uh, really inventive and creative and strange. And a couple of shots were legitimately uh, creepy um, and just kind of using the production design to uh, 
sort of, especially like once you know what the twist is, because I wasn't trying to outguess the film at any point. I was just like accepting it as fact because that's what I assume a silent film is going to be. Like it's not going to be making any creative leaps or whatever. Right. But like once you know the twist, if you look back on the film, uh, you know, that it's all taking place inside the jagged sort of mind of this mental patient, um, like all of the landscapes are jagged and off kilter to sort of right. represent his you know, uh, fractured sort of worldview um, and his delusion or whatever. I also uh, really love the, like some of the lengths that they would do to get the shadows and stuff. Like I read afterwards that Robert Veen literally just painted shadows on the wall in order to achieve that jagged look. And I'm like, what a fucking mm, genius. I would it. never just paint a wall, <laughs> you know? Uh, but yeah, dude, it's, it's, it's really interesting. And it is one of those foundational building block things. Like Nosferatu comes a couple of years after this. Nosferatu is also, you know, rightfully lauded as this great film. But yeah. I think that, you know, even, even this, like this is so punk rock to me in terms of how weird it is. Like set design, like everything. The, even the faces of the actors in this movie. And again, it's the use of shadows and stuff. Mm. But like they look rigid and, and geometrical and, and well, everything and, feels and to, slightly off kilter. Yeah, to be fair, they did cast some interesting looking people. I mean, it's <laughs> Conrad Veet, who was the original Joker. Like, yeah. he was the inspiration for the Joker in The Man Who Laughed a couple years later, oh. um, which is fun. He's he's the guy who's uh, C Cesar or Cesar. I did not know that. That's really interesting. Wow, holy shit. Yeah, um, definitely read like the uh, Wikipedia entry on this fucking thing. Um, a lot of interesting things in this. Uh, there's some like film criticism or film theory that looks at it with like the lens of hindsight as sort of a um, almost a subconscious expression of Germans' desire to be led by a fascist ruler. Oh um, no! I, but I actually feel this way because like that. I feel like that is a subtext that's kind of in the film hardcore. It's this idea, yeah. this aimlessness, this this necessity of a strong man to to fill your head. <laughs> because mm -hmm. your your head is unreliable you know what i mean so like that's actually really fucking interesting and again this predates even uh weimark republic germany right like like this isn't even a uh, world war well maybe what what year is this film i'm sorry isn't this 1918 so this is okay so this is right after like world war one yeah right? this is immediately following world war one. oh man so like the shit's bad like this is the, yeah. this is the sowing the seeds for what would come 18 years later man or, right they're like, hey, we need a Hitler. And apparently the guy who played Caligari uh, was a, you know, a proud member of the Nazi party. So there you go. Um, well, they made me like, I got to <laughs> backslide into this love. Well, I was, I was talking to my friend Solar. He's like, listen, I like that what you and Max are doing. Just don't make the mistake of judging a film from then on today's morals. And I'm like, I will never do that but i it, you may have made me rethink that <laughs> just because was I'm he like, talking about it. this movie coming up or something no we were talking about all movies he's like just be careful because everyone your age like your generation he's like 12 years older he's like they do they make this mm -hmm. fuck up of like well that is not that doesn't work in today's fucking it's like yeah it's not gonna work nothing works like five years later what are you talking everything about? is offensive jesus you couldn't release american pie today you can release tropic thunder today much less the cabinet oh. of dr caligari maybe right. i don't know you know, every, everything is <laughs> right. No, it's interesting. I mean, you're you're really killing it. I, we talk about like shows that came out five years ago, and I reference a joke, and I'm like, holy shit, how did that? Like, it's a date rape joke, and everyone right. laughed at it. Everyone's and fucking with it. Everybody was like, ha ha ha. Yeah, including oh, us. And then it makes you reexamine your own brain, and it's right. like, how susceptible am I to society's whims? So anyway, all we, though, <laughs> Dr. Caligari, the original date rape and also pro-Nazi, but pre-pro-Nazi. So it's like a pre-cog thing. Pre-pro-Nazi. Pre um, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, to, to bring it back to the film, because we're Please like doing this into a yeah. burrito episode, I'm sorry. Um, no, I, I very much uh, was entertained by it. Um, really enjoyed it. Uh, what music did you watch this with? Like what music came with the Criterion? Um, what do you mean? Is it not all the same? What, what, what did you have? Uh, so I, I put on my own music. So like silent movies in general, like you can swap out music. It doesn't really matter. Like there are multiple tracks. Like movie or uh, Man with a Movie Camera, for example, has like 12 different scores. Okay, no, 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 hold on. Hold on, because I, I don't like that because things like Metropolis, like Metropolis is meticulously scored. Like it's meant to be watched with that accompanying music. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I watched whatever was on the criteria. I assumed that was the gospel. I didn't even know there were. There was, oh, shit, you're really blowing my mind here, McCarty. I didn't know I could do this. 
yeah yeah especially like a lot of silent films anyway like they're usually like multiple iterations of scores because a lot of times uh silent films had a live accompanying uh orchestra especially at the bigger movie houses so right. a lot of it was in flux the music anyway it wasn't something that was scored to the movie and set in stone whoa okay well this is a change what did you put put like some snake jazz on or something like... <laughs> snake jazz. no i threw on uh, some uh tim hecker uh the album virgins because that's like a spooky sort of uh organ synthy orchestral kind of gothic well spot. now i just want to release the torres cut of this movie and just like <laughs> score it for an hour and 20 minutes like why can't i do i should go back and just score a bunch of old movies so this hey, is like a, not, man i mean they're right. literally silent movies there's nothing stopping <laughs> <laughs> they're just begging for it <laughs> jesus <But> christ no, <laughs> uh good, good pick torres thank you for you know uh expanding my film knowledge a little bit this oh, is yeah. a movie that i've always intended to see um, I've always seen stills of it. I took film classes and this was always, you know, one of the first pages in the fucking textbook. It's a landmark film. And I definitely see why. Um, just a, a genuinely uh, fun movie and also like interesting to see the genesis of so many different storytelling tropes, uh, you know, at the very beginning. Yeah, man. I mean, especially if we call yourself a lover of film and stuff, I think it's really important to kind of go back and see some of these things where people had less and did more with it. It really yeah. kind of, I don't know, it gets my creative juices going. I'm really excited about it. I'm glad you watched these movies, man. We're making our way through this. We've done, we've tackled yeah. eight of these fucking things. Like, all right, so what, what, what else do we have left? We're rounding the bases, aren't we? Uh, hey, don't so, make fun of me. <laughs> Um, so next week, I'm going to make you watch the two weirdest movies on my list. Okay. Um, Babe, Pig in the City uh, and uh, Possession. Ah, oh, fuck. I've been putting off that Possession for years. You still got my Blu-ray, right? Yeah, so that's one thing I, well, you don't I, have to pay I, for. Look, I threw it into a fire and then I woke up the next day and it was there. So like, just, <laughs> right at the I foot of your it. bed. <laughs> Didn't question it. Burned down the house. Followed me across the country um yeah all right so what i don't even know what i have left on the list i gave you blood simple for sure uh and then i have i have to remember what this last movie is um isn't it uh stardust memories oh yeah okay cool so we'll do coen brothers and then we'll do a little uh woody allen stardust memories and then we'll we'll, we'll tackle it man. i'm excited we got some weird movies coming up yeah, you know, it's going to be weird. And I, I mean, I think that like might as well keep this feature going. So we made a list of six movies each, but this quarantine might last for another year, oh, yeah. two years. Who knows? Oh, yeah. Who knows how long we're all going to be socially distancing. So might as well get a film education uh, while we're doing that. Uh, well, yeah, let's let's work really hard on it. And so when we do the reviews for next week, we'll have a new list ready to go and then we will announce it on the next episode. So um, all right, man. Well, thank you for the movies, sir. I appreciate you. And until next week. Adios.